Go to Germany. Thanks, Brett. So this morning, you got kind of a, a, an idea of what's been going wrong around here. Dean had told you. And uh, there, there are a few occasions where you kind of go, I think today's going to be awesome because nothing's working. So you ever had that feeling? Like everything and its brother, like this, I'll tell you from years of experience, there are things that I, I teach on. When I teach on them, I prepare the staff. Get ready because I'm teaching on the blood of Jesus and all hell's going to try to break loose. Get ready because we're preaching on the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus. And everything that can go wrong is going to be saved for that moment to go wrong. So I don't know what's about to happen, but man, am I excited about it. I heard the phone this morning, hey, uh, the notes didn't get done. Hey, I'm throwing up. Hey, I've got a terrible headache, sinus congestion. Hey, uh, Shane's in charge. Hey, and then I came in here and Dina goes, it'd be best that you weren't here right now. I was like, I'm the pastor. <laughs> What's, she goes, it's just, stuff's not, it's just, you just focus on, you just go find somebody that's happy. Because nobody in this room's happy right now. You just go for a walk. <laughs> And, right? So I went for a walk. I'm down the children's say, How's it going? Oh, good, good day. I saw Dean. Is it safe to go back in there? He goes, No, not yet. Don't come back. Okay, all right. So I have no idea what went wrong today, but we, we've appreciated those who've taken a step forward. Um, Dean and Weekend, you're the finest leader I know. And to your team, the varsity team, to the JV team, to the freshman team, you know. I think she honestly, the varsity team, someone couldn't make it. The JV team, they weren't around. The freshman team, like we have cheerleaders playing football today. And, and the anointing of the Lord is what moves the ball. Amen? So this morning, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 22. Proverbs 21, verse 22. Here's a, here's a great verse. Now, I, I want you to help me with the math. How, how many do we need to do what it's going to say? How many? One. One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. Listen to me. All of combat looks for an advantage. Every, every contest, everything that is life and death looks for the advantage. If you're looking at combat and you're, you're a commander and you're trying to win a, a conflict, a battle, or a war, a campaign, one of the things you have to look for is you know, supply, uh, control and command, communication. Like It isn't just the guys that shoot the bullets. It's the guys that truck the bullets to the line. It's the, it's the medics. It's the food. It's all the stuff. But two things that you're going to want in any conflict is this. You're going to want a superior force and you're going to want it from an elevated position. If you look at the great battles of mankind, whether it be back to Genghis Khan, whether you're looking at Napoleon, Caesar, the Civil War, or today, you'll notice one thing. Everybody wants a superior force from an elevated position. If you find a place that isn't elevated, that's where you build tall walls. That's where you build castles with turrets. Why? Because you want there to be a superior force from an elevated position. Uh, the Battle of Little Round Top. Anybody know the Battle of Little Round Top, Civil War, second day of Gettysburg, July 2nd, 1860-something? I don't know. I wasn't quite born yet. But Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and the 20th Maine gathers on the Union far left. They are the extreme left. If they fold, then all the Confederate Army comes over the hill and attacks the Union Army from behind. If that happens, then, then literally their forces will be divided. If that happens, they probably lose the Battle of Gettysburg. If that happens, there's a letter in Lee's pocket from Jefferson Davis you know, to, to propose the terms of surrender or of truce between the Confederate States of America and the Northern States of America. If that happens, then in 1911, World War I breaks out, there's no United States to stop it. And if that happens, there's no United States to stop World War II. And if that happens, and if that happens, and that happens. In other words, if this battle isn't won, then all of us speak German or Japanese. Literally. And so they have to hold this to the last. That's the command. Hold Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, Colonel of the 20th Maine. Hold it to the last. And that's the command. Well, it doesn't know it's the last bullet. And then you get to run. <laughs> 
Is it the last man? And this is what he did. He used the terrain. He went about three quarters of the way up the hill. And so the South had to charge up the hill on a 95 degree day wearing wool uniforms. Six times they came up, six times they repelled up, repelled up, repelled up. By the time the sixth one came, he, he did a, he, he, they were out of bullets. Half their people were wounded or dead. He said, fix bayonets. And they did a bayonet charge down the hill and the South's back was broken. They won the battle. And then the next day was... The, the terrible uh, advance that the South got decimated in. So you want, how many guys know, you want the high position. You want the high position with a superior force. It, it just, it's even in pugilistic sports. In fencing, the guy with the long arms has, has a, an advantage over the guy with the short arms, right? You're boxing. You can, how many guys ever watched a boxing match? You have no idea who the fighters are, what their record is, but you look at the big guy with all the muscles and the little guy and you think, that guy should have gone to college. There's, he's gonna get killed, right? And, and this is a universal, there's only one guy, 456 BC, Sun Tzu, Chinese generals, the only one who even postulated being an inferior force and how to do warfare from an inferior position as an inferior force. But all of warfare depends on the high ground with superior force, all of it, until the mixed martial arts movement happened. I saw a fight the other day. It was a, it was a video. I don't, I don't enjoy watching fights nearly as much as I used to. But... There's a guy named Royce Gracie. Ever heard of him? If you know MMA, you know Royce Gracie. He, the, he and his father, uh, Helio. Helio, did I say that right, Pastor Jason? He used to be one of his disciples, but then you got saved. The, uh, he was a 140-pound Brazilian guy that, that was never going to have the, the, the elevated position and was never going to have the superior force. So he learned how to fight from his back. So this is, this is the deal, right? The guy's on the mat. The guy that's laying down versus the guy that's standing up. Which one do you want to be, standing or laying? I want to be standing because I've got gravity, and I can come down, I'm just trying to touch, I'm just trying to hit the button, I'm just trying to hit the chin one time, but as I'm coming down, like nothing's gonna stop me, I'm reaching for that chin. Well, what he discovered was, if you could grab, if you could just dodge that, grab the arm, and I, I watched this, there was a 450 pound boxer sumo wrestler. How many guys know that's not a dog breed that anybody's ever created? <laughs> the guy was 450 pounds, he had, he looked like the Michelin man. Thank God he wasn't wearing one of those wedgie suits that sumos wear. It was like a decent pair of shorts. And, and, and I'm watching as Royce is trying to just, just stay in the ring with this giant superior force elevated position. He tried to do a leg kick, but the guy was so long that when he went to leg kick him, he literally fell on his back. And then you know what the sumo did? Timber. And he splattered this 160-pound, 5'10 man. I thought, well, that's the end of the fight. But this is what he did, because his father taught him this. He, he, he took it like one knuckle, instead of a whole fist, one knuckle, and he starts just punching the guy. So it's irritating. Well, he has to block. When he put his hand up, Hoist grabbed his arm and got his one leg out underneath Man Mountain, put it over one side of his neck, got the other leg out, put it over his back. How many of you guys know if you got somebody's arm, all you have to do is arch your back and you hyperextend that joint. And then we got a 450-pound weeping sumo wrestler tapping and screaming, saying, stop, stop, stop. What I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is this. I want you just to put a finger that you can win from your back. What I'm saying to you is this. You can win from your back. Everybody say it with me. I can win from my back. Next, put this up. Or put a pin in that. Next thing. 120 versus 5 million. You got your pin in the one, right? 120 versus 5 million. Why am I still on that purse? There you go. Thank you. You're not fired yet. I'm just saying. You're doing a wonderful job. 2,000 years ago, the church in the book of Acts numbered... 120 people. The Roman Empire numbered 5 million people. 120 versus 5 million. The, the Roman Empire was ruled with an iron fist. Crucifixion wasn't an isolated incident. They used 
the arena, they used horrible death and threats and taxes to keep everybody suppressed. 120 outlaws, 120 criminals, 120 people that said Caesar isn't really God, Jesus is God, and Caesar is not. I mean, that was, that was capital punishment time if you said that. That is a fight you cannot win. 42,000 to one. How many of you guys know there's, a, there's an elevated position and there's a superior force that the church cannot, you just can't. There's no way, 42,000 to one, it can't happen. But 1,600 years ago, the Roman Empire had its last battle and dissolved. And the 120 believers of 2,000 years ago is now an estimated 2.3 billion people that consider themselves Christians on the planet. So how does that work? I want you to hear this. Get ready to switch the slide. Christianity once fought from its back and won. Hear me. You guys still here? Christianity, like, like Hoist Gracie, once fought from its back in an impossible set of circumstances with the sumo wrestler of the Roman Empire coming down on them and all the persecutions of Nero where he lit his garden parties with the bodies of our brothers and sisters, coated them in tar and lit them on fire so they'd have light while they ate. Now, I want you to put a pin in that for a second. You guys still here? Here's a question for you. Is America a Christian nation? You're like, what do these points have to do with each other? I'll tell you in a second. Is America a Christian nation? Now, some people would say yes, some people would say no. So let's just, let's just decide for ourselves. Is America a Christian nation? The numbers say absolutely. 74% uh, of Americans polled said you have to choose one religion. Even if it's atheism, you have to choose a religion. 74% when they were pushed to what, what, what religion do you most affiliate yourself with? Three out of four Americans said Christianity. So is America a Christian nation? Statistically, but, but let's not look at the statistics of an anonymous poll. Let's look at our life. Let's, look at, let's watch TV. Is America a Christian nation? If you just solely came to this country, watch television, is what you see what Jesus wants us to see? Let's look at politics. Never mind, just say no and let's move on. <laughs> let's, let's look at our neighbor and our neighborhood. Let's look at the grocery line. Let's look at the people we work with. So let me ask you again, not, not in a statistical way, but in a practical way, is America a Christian nation? I don't say yes or no, but you need to know what your answer is because we're gonna use this. I would suggest to you that America, as far as like being a Christian nation, um, my thought is it probably is not. And I would say again, it probably has not been for a very long time. We once fought if you will, in the contest as superior force from an elevated position. I think that advantage has been overturned. I think I need to get back to my notes before I say too much. The nuns, I mean, you guys know what the nuns are. Not, not the ladies with the rulers at, at St. John's. It's the, the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. Sorry, if that was Catholic, that might have been offensive. I didn't mean to. It's been a long day already. Just tolerate me if you would. Uh, thank you, J.D., for the giggle. I appreciate that. It was polite. The nuns are people who say, what religious affiliation do you have? They say none. I'm, I'm, this is an atheist, an agnostic, or someone that just says, I, I don't believe anything, or I don't know what to believe. They're, they're the nuns. They have now outnumbered a sect of Christianity known as evangelicals. So I don't know why they did this, but they broke Christianity into Catholicism, mainline Protestants, evangelicals, and born-agains. So the number's a little bit skewed, because I know a lot of people that are evangelicals that are born-again. I know a lot of born-again people that are Catholic. I know, you know what I'm saying? So for us to say, well, these are, this is, you know, they split Christianity in a bunch of different ways, but it's interesting to note that all the survey statistics are kind of doing this for the last 50 years of America, and in the last 10 years, the nuns have literally done this. They're up and to the right on the graph. Why? <clears throat> because I think there used to be an advantage to say that you're a Christian. 
Are you still here? On a job description. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, brother. Yes, praise the Lord. Well, that might help you get the job with the Christian owner. But now we say, amen, praise the Lord. Yeah, brother, does that help you get the job? Or would that discourage some people from hiring you? When we look at each other's social media, if it's a bunch of things about conservative biblical views and, and the shop owner or the, the store owner or the business owner looks at that, not only does that not benefit you, that might actually get you not to get hired. In other words, there was a day when everybody, you just said you're a Christian, there's an advantage. I think the advantage of saying you're a Christian is now gone to a great descent. I'm just saying we're in great persecution. We're still living large, if you will. But hear me and understand what I'm saying. It, I think our culture really hasn't changed. We're just being honest about it. I don't think there's less Christians today than there were 10 years ago. I just think there's less advantage to saying you are when you never were. So hear me. As the culture is shifting, I, I want you to follow me. We once fought from, from our backs to gain a superiority in force and elevated position as Christianity. If the culture is no longer predominantly Christian, and if we were originally taught to fight for our backs, then, hear me, the church in America would do well to learn how to engage the culture around it differently in the future than it has in the past in order to accomplish the Great Commission. Does that make sense to you? You guys are quiet today. You doing all right? Okay. I want to introduce you for three of the next four weeks thoughts about fighting from our back. Um, please hear me as we continue. There, there, I believe there's never been a better time for people to get saved than today in America. Uh, I've, I've actually had pastor friends that were resigning from the ministry, actually put their job application in to manage an auto parts store when he said, hey, just so you know, I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm going to be taken off to work a secular job. I said, why? He said, he's about my age, maybe a few eight years older, so somewhere around 90. And he said, he says, because I just don't feel like I'm effective anymore. And I said, well, why would you say you're not effective? I mean, do you know the word? Yeah. How's your counseling? Oh, I'm a great counselor. How's your, you know, worship? Oh, worship's been better than ever. He said, but when it comes time for me to present the gospel, less and less people are raising their hand and responding to the gospel. I feel like I'm losing my anointing. I said, well, let's back up and ask a question. 20 years ago, when you started this, when people raised their hand, were they getting saved? He said, well, yeah. I said, let me ask you another question. You've known these people, some of them, for 20 years. Were they getting saved, or were they coming back to a faith they committed to in Sunday school when they were eight, that they got at camp when they were 12? In other words, was the adult decision actually a reactivation of a decision that had been walked away from? He said, you know, I think most of the time that was it. We used to have Sunday school, and, and in the basement, on metal chairs, with smelled like mildew, people in their 90s would teach children with flannel grass, and people would get saved. How many guys know God can use anything? There used to be youth groups and prayer meetings and camps and, and church was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, revival weeks. And then we had all these great experiences as children. But as we went off to college or work or the military, you know, it kind of broke us down. But later on, when we're in our 20s or 30s and we've had a, you know, a, a kid or two or a marriage or two or a heartache or two, we came back saying, I have not been happy since I was 12. And we walked into churches saying, would someone just lead me back to Jesus? And it didn't matter what you were preaching on because they didn't come to hear a sermon to make them happier. They came to find Christ. And so he said, who wants Jesus? Literally, 20 years ago, I could stand up in any room this size and say, Mary had a little lamb. And his name was Jesus. All I need is a woman on the organ. And today, if you come to give your life to Jesus or come back to God as a prodigal, I want you to stand your feet, walk to the solitary and pet. And, and 10, 20, 30 people in room this size would just stand at their feet because I said, Mary had a little lamb. They didn't come to be convinced. They came to be converted. This makes sense? So I'm going to tell you this. That pastor's still in ministry. He's doing a wonderful job because he realized that he hadn't lost his anointing, but the questions people are asking have all changed. 
We cannot approach the America of 2019 as we did the America of 1979. It's all different now. So think of it this way. We're talking about ministering to people, reaching people with the gospel, actually having an influence in people's lives so they would come to Christ. Please hear me. We don't just stand up and preach to them. We no longer have an elevated position, and I don't know that we have a superior force. I mean, Jesus is a superior force. Don't get me wrong. But the church and our voice today is seldom respected as often as it's suspected. All the church wants is your... Thank you, all the people have Facebook, right? The harvest is still plentiful, and I believe there's more laborers than ever before. So what we need is knowledge today. We need to know how to fight from our back. We need to quit taking haymakers to the jaw and learn how to grab the devil's arm and break his elbow. We need to have tools in our hands, in our heads, and in our hearts so that when opportunities arise, we don't back away from them because it might be controversial. I'll just, I'll just live a certain way. I'll just give a certain way. I'll just pray a certain way. No, we've got to shine a certain way. We've got to engage our communities, our families, our workplaces. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how to do this. And uh, man, let's start with this. Number one, are you ready? Jesus taught his disciples how to fight from their back. We're going to learn how to do it too. Number one, don't yell back. I think one of the great things that is disgracing a church that was supposed to be here to have an influence to shine is we're using our influence to shine to cause shame. Darkness uses volume. Darkness uses anger. Darkness fakes outrage. Darkness uses fear to try to overcome light. We have the truth and we don't need to shout. We don't have to engage. You know that old saying that, you know, don't uh, throw your pearls before swine or the more modern one, don't wrestle with a pig in the mud because you both get dirty and the pig likes it, right? We have the truth. The truth is still greater than any lie. And this is why, hear me, when I talk to you about reading your Bible and living like Jesus, it isn't just something Christians say. I am arming you for effective living. As your pastor, I don't want you to leave this life empty. I want you to leave this life having led a train full of your friends, a train full of coworkers and strangers to Jesus. I want you to stand before the Lord without shame, looking back at what's been done by his grace through your life and say, I'm glad I lived it the way that I did. Come on, somebody say amen. What I'm saying to you is this. I want to arm you with this. We don't need to yell. We need to shine. Because some things can be argued all day long. And some things can't be debated for an instant because they just are. Those who yell or those who yell back, in my mind, lose all credibility. This is what I want cable television to do that they will never do. Now, I take that back. In the next 10 years, someone will come up with this, and it'll be huge. I want them to find two intelligent people of differing views of goodwill to actually debate an issue. I think our country, at some point, will grow tired of being indoctrinated and will once again want to be educated. I'm tired of being told this statistic, which means this. This poll, that, which means that. This person who, how many guys are tired? Like, how many guys have just given up on watching the news? You just ask Google what the weather's going to be. You just read, like, I used to enjoy the, the, even the hotlines in the Tri-County Times. You guys know what that is? You know, to the person on 3rd Street who has the barking dog, please, I don't want to, you know, feed him radiator fluid. Please put your dog inside. I don't know why they're from New York. I, I don't know why that happened. I just, that's for the accent that came out, you know. But I'm here to tell you guys, it's, it's like, it used to look it's entertaining. I don't even look at the hotlines anymore. I don't even watch the news. I mean, I watch it when it's like a hearing. I watch it. But when it's just like commentary and this guy and everybody outraged now, okay, let's break for a commercial. Hey, if you're overweight and really stressed out, try this pill. Well, of course I'm overweight and highly stressed. I'm watching this newscast while I'm eating donuts trying to deal with the stress of watching this newscast. 
Those who yell, insult, belittle, or bully simply concede their, their opponent's point by proving they've fired every round they have and still haven't won the fight. I will not give you all the details. If you're not old enough to know what I'm saying, I won't, I won't have you go look for it. But there was once a late night comedy show that was sketch after sketch after sketch. And there was a, a, a portion of that they called Point and Counterpoint, where Chevy Chase or Dan Aykroyd would debate an issue with Jane Curtin. How many of you guys remember what I'm talking about? How many of you guys know exactly where I'm going and why I can't go there? <laughs> Jerry does. Jane, Jane Curtin, you know, point, tonight's Point and Counterpoint brought to you by da-da-da. And it would say, now, the topic they're debating tonight is this. And Jane Curtin would have this monologue. And she would build this airtight, legal, unbelievable, evidentiary, it was like 90 seconds, whatever she said, she just did it like, like intelligent people wrote this thought out, and boom. And then Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase would begin their monologue by saying, Jane, you're really sweet, but, or something like that. Jane, you ignorant tsunami of facts. What was it? Something like that. Anyway, it was, it was something that would cause, and what it was saying is this, I can't beat you intellectually, so I'll just try to beat you with my words. The world is there, guys. If we state the case of Christ, the case of faith, the case of miracles, the case of the Bible, the case of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the case of love, the case of community, if we, if we stick to Jesus' message, then the world will have to catch up to us instead of us trying to be so relevant and current that we just lose all also. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. He says, blessed are you when people insult you. Doesn't feel like a blessing so far. Persecute you. Still a little confused. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Not because you're wrong. Not because you live wrong. Not because you did wrong. But because of me. People who can't beat your truth have to resort to insults, persecutions, and evil lies to even stay in the ring with you. Come on, somebody say amen. People who don't have the truth are at the mercy of those who do. This is why it's so important that you know this. That's why it's so important that you exercise this. If you read the Bible once in a while and you can quote John 3.16 and wives submit to your husbands, you're walking into a, a gunfight with your fists and you're going to lose. But if you walk in with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and you walk in settled in that truth. It's not what you know, it's your faith. It's your belief. It's the core of your being. You can sit in the ring with people that are smarter, louder, more insulting, more abusive. Jesus, listen, if they've had to result to lies and insults, then they know that they've already lost the fight. How many of you guys have never seen that before in the Beatitudes? Blessed are you when people revile you and say all manner of evil against you because of me. Listen, there will be people that don't get what you got, and they'll try to make you look like an idiot because they can't refute what you've got. I just heard the other day there's a morning talk show and uh, they were having a conversation. The lady actually said it, came back and apologized, but she was talking about the vice president saying, I feel sometimes like God tells me what to do. And she said, listen, talking to Jesus, that's Christianity. Having Jesus talk back to you, that's mental illness. And the next day she had to come and say, I want to apologize because I'll be fired if I don't. Uh, for all the believers that are out in Christians, I was wrong. Although that was really heartfelt three seconds of your life, you know? But I'm here to tell you, I love it because what you said was insulting and stupid. And a world of people that said, hey, man, I believe I hear from God. Are you telling me that I'm mentally ill? And she had to back off. Listen, we didn't have to shout it. We didn't have to protest. We didn't have to light anything on fire. We should never have to put masks over our face to hide our identity when we represent Christ. But the evil people, the evil ones, those that are just, I don't know, evil people, but they're people with evil in their hearts. 
Why, why are they always wearing masks? Why are they always hiding? Because they, they want to create fear. We are not those who do that. We shine and shine and shine. Jesus actually goes so far to say this in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who also spoke the truth, by the way, who were before you. He talks about a great reward in heaven for simply standing, for saying, in the face of persecution, evil lies, people belittling you. I want you to know something, guys. Hear me. There was a time when Christianity didn't suffer that way. But I, and I, and I, boy, I hope I say this right. Um, there was a time when American Christianity could point its finger at just about anything that they thought was evil, and it would back down. How many guys live long enough to know that? You remember that. The same argument today. You point your finger at it today? That's evil. Now shrink back to the shadows. How many of you know as soon as you do that, you are labeled and belittled? Come on. So we can't approach it as if we're a superior force from an elevated position. Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to live and how to love and how to serve and how to, how to fulfill the Great Commission, didn't say, now go to Caesar and say, vile sinner. Get on your social media and be a slacktivist and be outraged. He didn't. He said, you've got to go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said, you're the light of the world. There's only 120 of you. But the whole world is depending on what's inside of you to be seen. You're the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, don't argue the truth. Show them the truth. There is a time for intellectual debate. Jesus had it many times. But there are times when you're just debating with a pig. I don't mean they're pigs. I'm saying Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Getting involved in a muddy social media argument makes me and you look stupid. Stop, please. Please Please, if you want to private message them and say, I think you're an idiot, that's up to you. But for you to make what you're saying, what I'm saying, it, it just, it doesn't help anything. It hurts so many things, just like technology and what it does to me and why I want to shoot it almost every time. Okay, another thing Jesus gave us to win from our backs would be the last thing. You guys doing good? It, it, this is it. The sign that Jesus said even unbelievers would believe. There is a sign that Jesus told us that if we could produce amongst ourselves by his grace, by the Spirit, that if we produce this, even unbelievers would be forced to have no conclusion but the right one. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Here it is. You ready? Say it with me. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look at this. By this, everyone will know. By this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There was a day when Christians may have had the luxury of publicly debating their favorite little isms and schisms. And I, I've yelled a lot today, and I told you not to, so let me just... Matter of fact, piano, piano would be good right now. Just bury white it in, man. Just <laughs> could, could I suggest to you that whether or not certain music styles or worship groups or doctrinal issues. I'm not saying they're not important. And we, we want holiness. We want purity in the body of Christ. Our debates do not belong in front of an unbelieving world. And what is social media? What is, I, I literally was getting my hair cut the other day and heard two fellas, I, I'm, I'm young enough to be their son. They're old enough to be my parents. 
they're all upset about their church. Talking about, I can't believe they spent money on that. You know, well, you know, the last pastor would have never, but this new kid that I just sat there like, and I'm watching as people like they're reading their hunting magazines, but they look up and they got especially loud. I always know when you're 70, it's, it's just all loud. It has to be. But they're like the two guys in the balcony of the Muppets. And they're looking down at their church that they name by name in front of 10 people that are waiting for a haircut. But what's wrong with their church? Why do we need a sign that does that? I don't even understand. And no one asked me, but I've been there since he was born. I just, uh, man, well, okay, good talking to you, Harvey. Good talking to you too, Bob. And I'm like, near the run, it was good to listen to any of that. Hear me. The believing, the unbelieving world will believe if we love each other enough to confront each other to our face or by private message. And I still think it's a terrible way to confront somebody because I can't tell where your eyebrows are when you text me. If you're going to confront me, have the love and have the courage to confront me to my face. Right? I don't like the way you said that. I don't like the way you did that. Don't send me an anonymous nasty gram. A, it'll never get to me. B, if it gets to me, I won't care. C, if you approach me and buy me coffee, automatically I care because I'm, I'm with you and I'm highly caffeinated. Well, it's just, we would never, we would never shame our children publicly, would we? then let's not shame God's children publicly either. I don't like this worship team. There's a triangle pointing downward on their album cover, which is a symbol of the Illuminati. And I just want to say, if you sleep with tinfoil on your head, the aliens can't hear your voice anymore. And I know that might have offended somebody, but look at my face. I don't care. It has to end. And I want to be a part of ending it. Because the world's not looking for a church that doesn't even like itself, let alone like God. Yes, there are going to be things we disagree with, but can we agree on Jesus? If we can agree on Jesus, can we agree that his last prayer was, let them be one? Father, as we are one, let them be one. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Can we agree that the greatest priority of Jesus was not whether or not the dead can still be raised? Whether or not the gifts of the Spirit are for today? Whether or not the NIV is a corrupted version, the King James is the only version? Whether or not Hillsong is the Illuminati? Whether or not Bill Johnson's evil? Can we agree that Jesus didn't die to settle those fights? Jesus died to redeem mankind and through his love give us enough love that we can love each other so that unbelievers can believe even if they can't understand. It's been a, just a real joy it's been a real privilege to um, be with missionaries in hard places. And one of the things they all have in common is this. Missionaries, like we just like the Mazateco Wild the Jimenez Indians we've been working with for almost 10 years now. The missionaries that are there, they've got Wycliffe Bible translators, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, and Independence. They have dinner together like once every 10 days. And doctrinally, they were all trained by people who said the reason we are the Methodist Church the reason we are the Assemblies of God, the reason we are the Baptist Church is because something happened that made us superior in some way to the last manifestation of God. And what happens is when you're trained, the reason we are what we are is because we're better than everybody else. Some of you guys know we're already in trouble. But when they're in hard places, hear me, when they're in hard places, there are no denominational lines. There's just the body of Christ. Can I suggest to you before this becomes a hard place, we should erase the lines. And we should agree on Jesus. 
We should agree on the Spirit. We should agree on Father God's love. We should agree on the cross and the resurrection. We should agree on, on, on God's love and the Great Commission. We should agree that we should be loving each other. Before we disagree on the minutia, let's obey the, the macula. Let's, let's get right into the things that Jesus said. Sink your teeth into this and the world will believe. According to Jesus, the sign that unbelievers will believe is not raising the dead, holiness, spiritual gifts, but simply loving each other. So let's, let's land the plane. I got some good news, bad news. Bad news is the winds of culture are changing. The good news is the book of Acts is a church fighting from its back, hyperextending the elbow of the devil and making him tap out story after story after story after story. We just got to learn how to fight from our backs. And maybe this is a little prophetic. Maybe this is a little bit ahead of its time. But I want you guys to be ready because I, I think even though it might be a little ahead of its time, I think we can use it right here, right now. Those are our first two things. Don't shout back. And you better start loving each other. I'm going to kill all of you. Amen. God bless you. Jesus loves you. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kind of. <laughs> Two weeks from the day, we're going to finish or continue the conversation with some other things that I think will be helpful to you. But here's my invitation. Here's my altar call. Here's my plea. Here's my ask. Would you this week focus on two things? Between now and Mother's Day, would you focus on two things? Withdraw from the yelling conversations, knowing that you no longer need to yell. If you have the truth, you can whisper it, and it's still the truth. You don't have to be angry. You can remember it peacefully, even though you know you're going to get slapped back. Hey, when you call me Jane, you ignorant and slipobian rabbit, it's just you conceding the point that I just made. If you have nothing left but insults, if the world has nothing left but insults, please rejoice. Please be glad. Blessed are you. When the world has nothing left to say but to insult you, revile you, and say all manner of evil lies against you because you have presented the gospel in such a way, you've presented Jesus in such a way, you've presented his church in such a way that all they have left is throwing mud. Don't pick up their mud and throw it back. Just smile and go, thank you. Thank you. So that's your last debate. That's your, and I literally have written this. I, I never mind, I have time. I wrote an article in the newspaper one time to rebut another article that was written. And I just said, I challenge, I, I have a 1.8 GPA from a public high school. I challenge anybody. I'll come with a team of three. You come with a team of three. Choose anybody you want. We'll debate this issue publicly. I, I, I will throw down the gauntlet here and now. Whoever thinks, because all the hotlines are saying blah, blah, blah. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Anybody wants to debate this publicly with a kid that barely graduated high school, I challenge you in public debate. If nothing comes back, let the whole community know their silence means they have nothing left to say. And it settled it. There, that was the end of it. I'm here to tell you guys something. We don't have to yell. We don't have to scream. We don't have to demean. We will not lower ourselves to the world's tactics. We never need to wear a mask. And we never need to type it anonymously. We can go directly to people with love and with truth. And if they reject it, they reject Jesus. And we pray for them. And we want them to know the Lord. But this week, I want you to withdraw yourself from all the silliness and just talk about how good God is. Will you do that? The second thing is this. I want you to start loving each other at a brand new conscious level. I want you to think about the fact that the way you treat me and the way I treat you and the way I threaten to kill you, and I'm joking, obviously, and the way we interact, like the way we forgive each other, the way we love each other, the way we give when the other one's in need, the way we pray for one another, it, it is telling the world not that we have a fact that's different from their fact, we have a relationship that makes us different from people that, that don't know Jesus. Are you still here? Would you stand your feet all over this room? Part one is done. But now I need you to start living part one very aggressively, very ferociously, very purposefully. We're going we're gonna to love each other. We're going to withdraw from meaningless arguments. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there's anybody here today 
that needs to repent of things that we've done, then God, sorry. I, I probably said some things I should repent of this morning already, God. Thank you for the grace that you put on people to hear me when I'm being real, God. And I, I just, uh, let me never demean this pulpit with my own silliness, God. So forgive me for that one and make it better in the second service. And I pray, God, today that the people that are here right now, there are some things we're fighting for and there's some things that will just, they're not. We're not, we're not even have given a grace to fight in mud with pigs. Jesus did. We shouldn't either. So help us today. Now, people aren't pigs, but ideas are pigs. We want to love everybody like Jesus loved everybody. We can live for them. If we can die for them, God, it'd be an honor. So we don't hate anybody. If it has flesh and blood, it is not our enemy because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But there, there are things that stand out. They've raised themselves up against the knowledge of God. So we need to tear those things down with a heart of love, with a transparency, with a humility, God. And if they call us names, then so be it. We're going to call on your name. And we're going to rejoice and be glad because if all they have left is, Jim, you ignorant Christian, then I know I've, I've won the debate. And it's a, it's a matter of time. Seeds are now planted. So, Father, I pray grace upon grace upon grace upon grace on your people. Would you just, in closing, just put your hand over your heart for a second. God, you said with one, one person, one person with wisdom can go into the enemy's camp and tear down their stronghold. Let the person underneath this hand be the one that you use with wisdom that tear down things that are just idols that people have trusted in far too long. Arguments that feel smart but are just empty even at their conclusion. God, help us to have words and thoughts and love and mercy and all the things that come with it. God, give us the grace to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We don't need to yell. We need to shine. So make it shiny, God, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Don't move if you wait for just a moment. People who are going to be coming forward right now, they, they have a ministry of prayer. That's what they do. If you're here today and you're like, you know what, I, I, I have questions about the faith. I have questions about Jesus, right? I need a miracle, um, you know, whatever that is. I, I would encourage you guys, um, uh, Dennis and uh, Jeannie Nelson. How many of you guys know the Nelsons? They're sweet, sweet people. He just had a, it's a terrible stroke the other day, and uh, they're trying to make some decisions. So pray for Dennis. Well, yeah, I went to see him yesterday, and they just put a stint in, and he was groggy. And I asked if I could pray for him, and he said yes. And I, I prayed. When I was finished praying, he fell asleep. I said, oh, you're doing great. You do this every Sunday at church. Dennis is just like normal, you know. And he laughed. You got out of my room. Yes, sir, I will, you know. But I'm, I'm just, how many of you guys know, let's, let's, if you need prayer, God hears prayer. So don't go that way. Come this way. Do you just want a kind of a quiet spot to pray? Find a quiet spot to pray, but don't leave your having needs unmet. If you need healing, deliverance, a friend, talk about salvation, whatever you need, that's why we've entrusted this to these people right here. All right? So, Father, bless them as they came in, and now, God, bless them as they go out. I, I just, I pray, God, that, again, let your church be shiny and salty. Let us be loving. Let us live in such a way that, that even the skeptic can do nothing but conclude. I may not believe what they have, but I believe that they believe it. And I pray that, God, you would just uh, bless your church now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. The altars are open. You're dismissed.